The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. Cross. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. <laughs> Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 108 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host out in LA, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, jam-packed show today. How are you? Good. We have a few things to talk about. One you did not want to talk about. I was so excited to watch the lottery last night and to talk about it. And then you told me you have no interest in talking about the lottery, no interest in draft. Tell me why, just to get that out of the way. Well, I think the draft lottery in and of itself is a very boring show, right? It's like 30 minutes. They cram in a lot of commercials. And I get it, right? Because like the NFL draft is a huge thing. The NBA draft is not as big, but it's a big deal. So, like, I understand why they want to do it, but we're just so far away from the draft and there's so much basketball going on and we don't know what's going to happen with, like, a combine or if players are going to be allowed to work out for teams. And, like, I just don't have the heart to, like, wildly speculate about what's going to happen. And I know because you are a prospect guy and you love prospects and you love scouting and all that. But if we get into the NBA draft lottery, we're going to end up talking about, like, <laughs> That's prospects true. in, like, the 20s in a draft that like isn't even going to happen for three months. And I just, you know, I want to stick to the playoffs. I want to talk. There's been really good playoff games. You know why I realized that I was interested in this draft? Because it's, it's not a good draft by any means. No, not at all. But it kind of, it came to mind because I was like, I'm a Democrat, whatever disclosure, full disclosure. And I watched all the democratic primary debates, all of them. And in fact, I watched all the Republican primary debates back when that was contested, too. I think those are fascinating. Meanwhile, I didn't watch virtually any of the Democratic National Convention. Like, none of the speeches. Like, I, didn't want, I didn't watch any of it either. And I realized, like, because when it's the primaries, it's, like, contested. It's, like, up for debate. Like, there's all these candidates that are all pretty similar. And then by the time the general election rolls around, you, you pretty much know – whom you're voting for, right? Like, if you don't know between, like, Biden and Trump, like, you're just like... You yeah, the, the Washington Post ran an article about this woman who was, like, a Bernie supporter, which is totally fine, obviously, support whoever you wish, but, like, and how she needed to watch the convention to be, like, convinced if she was going to vote for Biden or not. And it is, you're exactly right. Like, if you need the convention to decide who you're voting for, like, what are you really doing? Especially this year. I mean, like, I don't know, the independent voter. I think they're all fake anyway. And it's usually people who like just like want to <laughs> either they're not paying any attention at all or they like just like to claim that they're independent, independent. you know, to be, get their Ken Bone moment, I guess. <laughs> and so but the draft to me this year is like that because it's like it's like the primaries. It's like they're all kind of close. Like you could make an argument for like four or five different guys. And I don't think any of the guys, Lamella Ball, Anthony Edwards, Weissman, like you can say are safe really right you've done the presidential and generational prospect thing for both the nfl and the nba and i would say in looking at this draft i am 
fairly confident that Anthony Edwards will go number one overall. Just to give the quick order, uh, Timberwolves, number one pick, right? Golden State, two. Charlotte, three. They benefited the most, going up five spots. Chicago, four, up three spots. And then Cleveland, down three spots. Atlanta, down two spots. Detroit, down two spots. And the New York Knicks, sadly, down two spots. Everyone else held serve. Boston has the 14th pick from Memphis because Memphis didn't make the playoffs. But I would be fairly confident that Anthony Edwards goes one overall just because he makes the most sense in Minnesota. You certainly cannot, I don't think, play Lamella Ball and D'Angelo Russell together. You might give up a million points a game in the backcourt. But I do think it is very open to say that none of these guys are even what you would call presidential prospects, which are like the no. second tier of safe player. Like, like I would say, like I agree with you. A presidential prospect, just for people that haven't listened to this before. Like Blake Griffin right. is like presidential, like a guy that you would come along every four years. And like LeBron right. is like a generation. generational. Yeah. And like you, we were even deciding whether or not we thought like Zion was generational or presidential. And I think like he's probably more presidential, even though he's an odd player. It's just like generational is like a guy that like, he's one of the best players in the year, in the league for like 15 years. You know, you're Tim Duncan's. Your LeBron, and these are even guys, and it's how their time was as a prospect. Like we're not including right. your like Kobe's or Kevin Garnett's, who were you know picked like fifth or thirteenth, whatever you want to say. It's mainly guys like that are picked at the top of the draft. Kevin Durant, well, you know, like a clear like example, like Anthony Edwards from Georgia. Like I agree with you. I think he's probably going to be the number one pick. He'd probably be my number one prospect. He kind of just like fits the bill of what you want nowadays. Yeah. But if you look, we're talking about a guy who's going to be the number one pick. Probably last year, he averaged 19 points, five rebounds, three assists, shot 40% from the field, less than 30% from three. He basically had a worse year. He's, and I think he's a worse prospect than like RJ Barrett, right? Who went third last year. I don't think he's a worse prospect. Well, okay. I understand what you're saying. Like in terms like, of out, RJ Barrett averaged like what? 22. Yeah. He averaged like 24, seven and five. Or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. He had like a bigger resume and he had some flaws in his game maybe, but like just on paper. This is like one of the worst is going to be one of the worst like resumes and, for a top prospect. And so it's, it's interesting, right? Because, you know, Minnesota, you have D'Angelo Russell, good player, I would say. And then you have Carl Towns, great player, like fringe top 10 player, depending on how you feel. And so you drafted Jarrett Culver. And if you're Minnesota now, you get your pick of the guys. Like this is a, a way that if one of, if whoever you decide to pick, whether it's LaMelo, I, I would be surprised if it was James Wiseman. And I don't think they would gamble on maybe a lower floor guy. Like I've seen some love for like Isaac Okoro in the top five. I've seen some Obi Toppin love, but I just don't know that those guys have the ceiling of your top three prospects, which I feel like are Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Wiseman. And I think there's some people that think like Denny Avija and Killian Hayes are up there. I don't know okay. about that. But. I think it kind of reminds me of the Anthony Bennett draft too. And it's like, cause there was no clear top pick. And then Anthony Bennett like shocked the world by going number one, but it's partly because there wasn't a big separation. Correct. So, like it wouldn't shock me if Minnesota goes for, you know, Obi Toppin or something. Cause yeah. and it'll be seen think- the same way, but like, it's just like, I don't know. Like you're talking about Anthony Edwards, you know, I just mentioned a scorer who didn't score that efficiently. And he wasn't a great defender, although he he should be a good defender, but maybe he is an Andrew Wiggins or RJ Barrett where you look at him or Josh Jackson and you're like, man, this guy's going to be an unbelievable defender because of his size and his tools and his, you know, but maybe his mindset's just not there and he's just never a really good defender. You know what well, I mean? Like, also, like talk about the bus factor, like LaMelo Ball, you know, jacks up shots in the Australian league. He shot 37% from the field, 25% from three on seven threes a game so it's like and he's 
projected as this high level score. I'm like, he just might be bad. I mean, in yeah. the NBA. I think that one of the things with LaMelo, and I do think that the draft, really the interesting part about the draft is the second pick, right? Because Golden State gets Steph Curry back. They get presumably Draymond Green interested again and maybe in shape. They get Klay Thompson back. They have that Andrew Wiggins contract that they can pair with somebody. And then they have the second pick. And I don't think they would pick LaMelo Ball themselves. I don't know that it makes sense to pair LaMelo with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, although maybe it does. I, I would like to see it. But they're not going to probably – I think they would pick Anthony Edwards. Like, if Minnesota drafted right. LaMelo or James Wiseman, I think Golden State would pick Anthony Edwards. If Anthony Edwards goes one, I could see the case for James Wiseman, but he doesn't really help them right away, and they want to make sure to kind of extend the window. My gut feeling here, Zan, is that Golden State – and this is, this is not me saying anything crazy. I think Golden State will trade this pick, and that's what I think a lot of people do. But I think it's right. for teams that want LaMelo Ball. I think he's going to be the so guy – He's that like the star, quote-unquote. Well, because I think that – he has the one generational attribute, if you will, like his passing plays for sure in the NBA. So as a playmaker, I think you can see it. I think there are some problems with his game. Like you said, the shot selection, certainly the LeVar ball factor is going to be something that teams weigh heavily against as well, even though he hasn't been in the news hardly at all. So it's kind of whatever, but like he has, his passing is probably the best single skill in this draft, in my opinion. And I think that teams are going to try to – I think there's going to be teams that try to move up. Like, you know, I think the Knicks. I think you could see the Pistons try to make a play. I don't really know what they do. Right. Not, and, like, and also, like, size. Maybe Chicago you know, could do that. Knicks, like, I could see. six. If he's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, for a point guard, that's a huge benefit. If you, like, if you were Golden State, would you trade the second pick and Andrew Wiggins for, like, Otto Porter in the fourth pick? Um. No, probably not. Probably I mean, it depends if you like somebody. Like, and I think that's the other interesting part of the draft, and we'll talk more about it as it gets closer. As you said, yeah, but like, we're right at we, our ten minute warning. I know. So, but it's interesting because, as you said, like Minnesota, like everyone wants like wings, like you know, like six seven ball handler wing, like a Luka Doncic, whatever. That's ideal. That's not in the draft though. So, like, if you're Minnesota, do you take another scoring guard like D'Angelo Russell? If you're Golden State, like you said are you actually going to take and invest in a true center like Wiseman, even though you've never really prioritized that? I, yeah. And, and that's what I don't know. Like, could you play Wiseman and Carl Towns together? I, I think you probably could. For like 20 minutes. And also I'm telling you. really want to take Zan, like, would you, this is my thing with James Wiseman. We got three games and then like AAU and high school footage. Like how comfortable are you really gambling with James Wiseman? And, and here's the thing I'll say. I talked to some people last night about this and I said like surely there's a plan in place for NBA teams to be able to work guys out or there's a combine plan like maybe there's some sort of like prospect bubble that like they get a hundred people in but there isn't right now so everybody's kind of just drafting off film at the moment I mean I think teams are expecting like yeah we're gonna get a chance to get players in we're gonna get to see them work out but they're not gonna be able to fly around the country so this draft is just so weird on so many levels right it's gonna be very bizarre um and just one final thought. I'm happy that some of the teams that made it, like Minnesota fans, like proudly point out, or like they eagerly, you know, pointed out that they've never actually jumped up in a lottery. This is the first time they've ever jumped up, which sounds weird because they had the number one pick with Towns, but I guess they were slatted to have number one that year. So technically they didn't jump up. Um, and then Wiggins was via trade, so they didn't have the pick that year originally. And then Charlotte, I think the same thing. I'm not sure they had jumped up in like 20 years or something like that. So I'm happy for those teams. They had never finished higher than their expected outcome in the lottery. That was like an insane thing to see. They had never jumped up. 
And I mean, Charlotte, I'm, I'm just rooting for. So I was rooting for because it's like they were such a bad roster and they won too many games. And then it was like, God, this team is going to be stuck forever. And and now they have a chance, you know, third pick in a weak draft still. But hey, if Lamelo's great, if Anthony Edwards is great, if Weissman's great, like you have a chance to have a franchise player. I feel pretty comfortable in saying that I think they'll, I don't know. I don't know, honestly. I think that they really would like LaMelo is my gut feeling on that. I think they well, want another guard. About, about Charlotte, I just want to say one last thing. I looked up, you know, basketball reference lists like the best player in your franchise history just based on win shares. I mean, it's, God, who is it's, it? Kemba, right? It's Kemba, and yeah. which is, you know, he played for a while and he played pretty well, but it's like the best player in your franchise history is like currently like the fourth best player on another team right now. I mean, like that's just like embarrassing. Is he their fourth best player? He's been pretty good. Jason he's been pretty good. Maybe he's the third best or whatever, yeah. but still, I mean, like he's not like a, you know, MVP candidate. No. And this isn't, this was not, is this including before? Before. Yeah. Cause I guess wow. like Larry Johnson Larry, was there Alonzo for Mo- time. Like Alonzo Morning and those guys. Yeah. Man, they all that's left. Really rough. That's really rough. The third was Muggsy Bogues, who was like a, a pretty good player. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Muggsy Bogues has always been preceded by the fact that he was 5'2", and like, or 5'3", whatever he was. And like, he was not a bad NBA player by any means, but he, he almost certainly was not like a, a great NBA player, right? Yeah, like, you know, the, the second guy was actually Gerald Wallace, who I he was really good Charlotte on the much. Orange Bobcats. He right, was really right. good. Yeah, yeah. And he, he but he only played for them for six years, too, so... I mean, come on. He likes to have a better likes, franchise player. He likes stuff the stat sheet. Like, you know who he would be like now? He'd be kind of like a lot like Robert Covington, probably, where he just does a lot of stuff. Like, he can handle the ball. He can pass. Covington can't really pass. But anyway, so draft lottery, we got a lot of time to talk about it. I think monitoring how the NBA is going to handle workouts and interviews is the most important thing to see right now. Because teams will get Zoom interviews for sure, but like, you know, it's important for the Celtics to get guys in and like put them through their conditioning test. Like it's important for guys to get in and watch guys play three on three and play two on two. Like that stuff is really important for a draft. And if that doesn't happen, October's going to be pretty interesting. I think. Like, I mean, yeah, like, but you know what, like to the NBA's credit, we should mention it every week. It's like we were panicked, not panicked, pessimistic, I should say about like the, this bubble going in, right? Like how are they ever going to work? LeBron gets Corona halfway through the Western conference finals. Again, zero positive tests. It's just like gone so freaking well in these playoffs. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about the playoffs. Yeah. Where do you want to start? I mean, it's been – so we should say it is Friday at 12.30 Eastern time. We are not going to talk about any of the Friday games, despite the fact that, like, I think Indiana and Miami or Toronto and Brooklyn play at, I think, one thirty Eastern. So as of right now, of this recording, everyone has played two games. Every series is either – 2-0 or 1-1 or whatever. Yeah, and it's know. a good thing we waited because otherwise you had been talking about how the Lakers are going to lose, Milwaukee's going to get swept. I don't – I mean, I was never going to think that Milwaukee was going to get – I mean, Milwaukee not getting swept cost me a substantial amount of money on Monday afternoon so or Tuesday afternoon. So uh, where do you want to start? You you pick. We'll, we'll start, start, in, start in the East or you want to start Sure, we'll start in the East. Milwaukee lost the first game badly. They were favored by 12 and lost by like 12. And then they stomped Orlando in the next game. I Do we even need to dwell on it? I think it's like a 4-1 series regardless, right? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't know if it'll be 4-1. One of the things that I do think is quite interesting is Milwaukee has some offensive issues I think that people are starting to see and they need to make shots. And obviously that sounds like the most insane thing of all time to say, but like, 
Chris Middleton has had two just absolutely terrible yeah. games in a row. I mean, well, we also got Dondra Gellison, the ombudsman for the podcast, has already said Milwaukee is not getting out of the East. He said this before the playoffs, and he wants it on record. He thinks Miami's going to beat Milwaukee. And I think you might think the same thing in a week, but we'll, we'll stay tuned for that. And that's going to be a tough series. I don't think Miami. Yeah. I don't know that I would pick Miami. I think there is some reason to really like Miami. I think they're going to make it very hard on Milwaukee. Here's the thing. Like Orlando shot the ball really well on Tuesday, right? Like DJ Augustine, 11 points, 11 assists. Gary Clark made a couple threes. Like uh, Vucevic has been tremendous in both games, which is, I think, troubling. But like, I guess if you just want your big man to shoot threes, like the Bucks will probably be okay with that. But the, the real issue for me with the Bucks isn't so much that like they couldn't get stops. Like every team in the NBA can shoot over their head at certain times because then on Thursday, like we saw the Orlando offense we expected where every shot was tough. Like there was a bunch of stuff contested at the rim and Milwaukee had much more margin for error, even though they haven't shot the ball well. But like if they can't find a consistent second score, like – this is the same thing we talked about last year. Like if Eric Bledsoe is not going to give him any offense from the guard spot. And again, he's just been okay. And Chris Middleton is like, not going to make shots. I mean, eight shots in 31 minutes on Thursday night. Like that's not going to be good enough to beat a good team like Miami, let alone beat either Toronto or Boston. And so I don't want to panic about it yet. It's been two games, but golly, I'm, I'm nervous about Giannis's ability to play make. I'm, I'm nervous about the Bucks taking somewhat of bad shot selection. Like that stuff really does make me nervous about the Bucks, who I really did think were going to figure it out and just roll to the finals. I'm not too worried. I mean, like Middleton, like I could see like the, the Dondrick Ellison, like Giannis, you can game plan around Giannis in the playoffs and the long series. There's some logic there. Like Middleton, is a good shooter. I mean, like he'll have bad games and he'll come back and he'll have a good game. Like, I just don't see why all of a sudden he'd be bad, you know, for an extended period of time. Um, I'm not too worried about them now. I mean, Miami series is going to be competitive and Indiana, Miami, like it's two Oh now. Is there any reason to talk about this or is it pretty much over? I think there's reason to talk about it just because I think that there's some things with Miami that like we really need to give credit. I mean, Duncan Robinson is just like putting on a show for people that haven't seen Duncan Robinson. Like, I mean, this dude's, like, flying off stagger screens, like, letting it fly, Zan, and, like, shooting 80% from three. Jimmy Butler has been really good in two games. Uh, I, I think that the, the Heat are deep. I think that they guard. I guess the concern is, like, can Bam guard Giannis for 25 to 30 minutes a game? How much does Jimmy Butler guard him? But, like, Miami's good. Indiana, by the way, I, I like Indiana. I, I think – this is an odd thing to say, but like if their starting lineup can take like a little step forward, like they're a good team. Like they're a very good team. I just think that right now, like Victor Oladipo is a shell of himself. And I think they're really struggling if they don't get a ton of scoring from a guy like TJ Warren, Miles Turner. I just don't see it, man. Like I want him to be so much better than he is, but you know, I feel for Indiana. Like I think if they get the Sixers, I think that's a team they can beat, but like, Miami's just better than them. Miami's more disciplined. Miami is just a very, very solid NBA team. And I would be, I think Miami, Milwaukee, I think I've said this from the start, like Miami's not afraid of anybody. I think Miami, Milwaukee is going to be an awesome series. I really do. Yeah, I agree. And when I say it's done, like maybe Indy wins a game or two. I just don't think there's a chance that they're going to win the series. It just, it, it feels like they're a tick below Miami to me, right? Like, it, like Orlando and Milwaukee feels like an absolute mismatch. Like if Orlando just doesn't make every shot, they have no chance to win a game. But like Indiana, it just feels like even when they play well and they shoot well in these first two games that they just haven't really 
they haven't really been able to kind of like take that next step, right? Like it doesn't seem like the games have been particularly close. They've all been close at like half, but I, I don't know. Like I, I thought yesterday was really interesting because I didn't think Miami played great and it never really felt like the game was close, right? Like it was always between like eight to 10 points for the entire game pretty much. Yeah, and what a story Duncan Robinson, like a guy we mentioned didn't start at Michigan. You know, he transferred to Michigan, didn't start. He didn't get drafted. He's he, As a rookie, he didn't shoot well. And then now coming into year two, suddenly he's maybe the best shooter, you know, in the bubble. It's um, less in the bubble, you know, yeah. with Steph out. Uh, also, my guy, Andre Iguodala, back-to-back, pretty good games. He's playing 25 minutes a night. Yeah, I, I'm not going to eat crow on that because, I mean, like, but I think Miami is legit. Like, Tyler Hero's a legit good shooter. Duncan Robinson, a legit good shooter. Bam, can play the five. I mean... Yeah, how much can they might you get be out? one of the five best teams in the league? I don't so, know. So my question with them is like, how much can you get out of Goran Dragic, and then are you going to be able to shoot threes at a high enough clip against a good team when you do need Jimmy Butler and Goran to take a lot of shots? Are those guys going to be able to make threes? Because like they do have good shooters, right? Like Duncan Robinson is an elite, elite shooter. Tyler Hero is a very good shooter. But outside of that, they don't really have any other awesome shooters, right? So against the Bucks, where you're going to probably need to shoot 35 to 43s a game, do they have enough horses to get those shots? Or are you going to go down with Jimmy Butler shooting a bunch of twos? And I think like, I don't know. You know, honestly, like I think the Bucks' offensive concerns are enough for me to to really look hard at this series and be like, all right, I think there's a path for Miami to win. Just win yeah. a bunch of games in well, like the low hundreds and wall up against Giannis. That now that, like, that being said, hold on real quick. Orlando's a really good defensive team. I know they're missing Jonathan Isaac, they're missing Eric Gordon, but like they are very solid defensively. That's what Steve Clifford does, you know? And like my takeaway almost from the first round, I was so excited for the playoffs. And then it's like, you watch a few games, you're like, I'm so excited for round two. You know, like, I don't know. Most of these series are not competitive. And you hope round two is, but like on paper, it should be. Especially in the East, there's like four good teams. Um, we really haven't oh. had, there's only been a couple good games in the East, right? So obviously like Orlando and Milwaukee game one wasn't like a great game, but it was like fun to watch because it was like watching Milwaukee try to come back. And what do they do? And it is interesting. You know, Milwaukee was like two and eight in games. They trailed by 10 or more at halftime, two and nine now. And I mean, that's a pretty crazy stat. So like if you punch Milwaukee in the mouth early, they don't come back, which is weird, right? Like, why is that? Cause they, they, should be able to come back 10 points in the nba is not a big lead yeah i'm not sure either um i'd be curious how they change their like shot distribution or not um toronto brooklyn they're playing this morning maybe brooklyn wins a game but it looks like they're checked out joe harris left the bubble for personal reasons yeah i think because he's a free agent that's the only reason i could think of i mean unless there's something else going on so that series to me is the only one that i'm definitely willing to say is like and there's two series in the east i think they're over i think boston and philly is over and we'll talk about that in a second but i think toronto and brooklyn is over like this is just a mismatch although game two uh was quite good on wednesday for all my talk about Jacques Vaughn and why teams are considering him to be a head coach, I think there's a lot to like in what we've seen from Brooklyn, right? Like they play super hard. They're not afraid. They, they, they got punched so hard in the mouth in game one. They were down like 30 and they managed to compete and come back and I think cut it to 10 at one point maybe. But on Wednesday, they, they played a really good game and like they had a chance to win and then down three with like 12 seconds left. Like you, you saw their execution off a side out of bounds. And like, that's the stuff that worries me. Like if you can't get a good shot with NBA players, I don't even care if it's a team you've only had for two or three weeks. Like you have to be able to do that. 
And I think like, that's my concern with Jacques Vaughn is like, it, there just always seems to be like little execution errors with those guys. Like they play super hard. Like they certainly believe they're, they're not taking this lightly. They're not just like, Oh, like let's get out of the bubble in, in a four game sweep. Like they want to take it to Toronto, but I just think that like, they're just not good enough. And Toronto for all our talk about like how good they are, like they should not really be in games with the Nets. I don't think, right. Like this Nets team is terrible. Well, the, the roster right now, especially no Joe Harris. I mean, it's like, whatever, you know, wait till next year. Um, what do you think about Toronto from what you've seen so far? D- d- does their lack of like a go-to score worry you against a team like Boston? Well, that's what I want to talk about Boston Philly. Cause that's probably the big news in the East is Gordon Hayward's out for what? Four weeks. Well, they said four weeks. That seems like a really long time. <laughs> just so after, well, just after like one. So late game one, a pretty good game. One of Boston and Philly, like better than game two, certainly. Hayward goes down kind of like underneath the stanchion and they like walk him off Boston wins. And then the news comes out like that night or like the next morning, like within 12 hours that he's out four weeks with a sprained ankle. And so like a high ankle sprain, I think they tend to be air on the side of caution, but I wonder if like Gordon Hayward's injury history contributes to this, right? Cause it does seem like four weeks is an awful long time. I mean, I'm not saying that he shouldn't be out that long. Certainly they should be cautious, but yeah. High ankle sprain. I don't know. I'm thinking football. It does tend to linger in my fantasy teams, but not, for a month um but you presume he missed the the toronto series right so i mean that's that's my guess is that they i, I don't know that they're not going to sweep philly like maybe they beat philly five four one or four two i have a very hard time after the effort that we saw defensively from philadelphia on wednesday night uh, no, yeah wednesday night right i have a really hard time thinking that they're going to come back in this series they just look listless like Embiid, i i, I wonder right we talked about this, that if Philly kind of tried to play like the boa constrictor role and play every game in like the 80s or 90s, maybe they'd have a chance. Well, they are trying to do that on offense. And then they played like drop coverage and pick and roll the entire night on Wednesday and just let Boston take open shot after open shot. Like if you don't think Embiid can play both sides of the floor and expend enough energy, like what are we doing here? It's scary. I mean, for Boston, it's scary because I think the Hayward injury – I would have picked them over Toronto. I probably would pick Toronto now just because it's like Boston, we said, had like six good players and now they're down to five if you include Marcus Smart um, and Tice, you know? so Those guys are good. Those guys are they're good, are good. But I mean, like, you know, now all of a sudden it's a thin team and they probably they have to play thin. more traditional lineups. Um, They've played Enos Cantor. Like, he played 20 Yeah, I think they're going to play a lot more like Cantor and Williams and just kind of, yeah. you know, I like them because they could go small, but now they're going to go bigger, I think. And, it, and it's tough, too, right? Because this game was a blowout. Like, the Sixers started fast, and Bede had a, good, a really good start to the game. And then it, it ended up being like a 20 point game in the second half. So, like, Grant Williams, my guy Romeo, Brad Wanamaker, Enos Cantor, like those guys all played 20 plus minutes on Tuesday night. And I think that's kind of a key for the Celtics is like, I mean, if the Sixers are going to let you walk them, like then play these young guys, see what you got. Like keep, you, you got to rest Jason Tatum. Who's just been tremendous. I mean, eight threes on Wednesday. Like, and again, I, I thought they were, they were easy shots for NBA players, but seeing Tatum, you know, go eight or 12 from deep, like, it's hard to imagine there's 10 better players in the bubble right now than Jason Tatum. Maybe there's not five better players in the bubble than how he's playing at this exact moment. You know, it's, um, like, is he good enough interesting. To, is he good enough to win a series against Toronto or we expect Toronto's wing defenders to be, I think he good? could be the best player in the series and he'd probably need to be. I, I, but I think that's Boston Philly series is still the most interesting to me. 
it's not competitive, but because I want to see Philadelphia, like it's like in a movie, like the, you shoot a guy in the distance and then he like drops and then you walk up to him and there's always that moment. Like, is he really dead? You kind of have to roll him over. You know, sometimes they like jump on you, you know, they snap back to life. Like if, is Philly just going to lay down dead for the whole series? I mean, here's the thing. We've talked ad nauseum about Philly. We've talked about Brett Brown. We've talked about Joel Embiid. But, like, there is part of me that thinks that Joel Embiid's like, I want to get out of the bubble. I don't want Brett Brown to be my coach anymore. Like, again, if you want to be the star and, like, you want people to adopt you as, like, this sort of, like, bastion for the process, right? Like, it's Embiid, it's Embiid, it's Embiid. Like, at some point, like, we got to see something better than this, right? I just thought his effort defensively on Wednesday night it was terrible. And you know how I feel about Embiid on offense. Like, I think he's a neutral offensive player. I don't think he's great. I think he hurts him. I think he wastes possessions. He never is interested in screening and rolling. Like, he clogs the floor. So, like, your effort level on defense needs to be what elevates you to that top 10, like, all-NBA center. And if we're just not going to see that because either, A, you're not in shape, or, B, you just don't care, it's even harder for me to get on board with the Sixers – direction and again i, I think brett brown's gonna get fired i, I think this effort right. like level is there that- any i thought i thought it was like 50 50 on it because he had the excuse with simmons is there any reason to keep brett brown i don't think so yeah. yeah and again like sometimes things just don't work out you know how much i like brett brown like i just think that this this is the type of effort where you look at a team on the floor and you're just like they just don't care like they just they're just not listening anymore and if that's what you see like sometimes things run their course you thank brett brown for getting you there i mean again the, the bigger issue I'm with the not, sixers i'm not really like a f- i i maybe you know more about coaching you literally know more coaching coaches um to me he just reminds me of scotty brooks where he's like he's the likable guy that kind of helped the young team get to the playoffs but i don't see any reason to hire him again on another team and if he does get hired on another team i think it'll be like a scotty brooks on washington will play there for like coach there for three years and do badly and then get fired i just don't see him i don't I figured, see his virtue i i figure like we should probably give i mean scotty brooks like he had hardened westbrook durant Ibaka, you know all like in the early parts of their primes like brett brown has like a bad clunky roster with simmons and Embiid. and again like we can talk about the sixers that they're off season once they get eliminated but like at some point we need to look in the mirror and be like this team has no direction like they don't know what they want to do like they panicked with the jimmy butler thing which actually was a good move at the time but then when they didn't resign him so like how much of the current like brett brown's gotten dealt a pretty unfortunate hand and you get paid a lot of money to play your cards but like i just think that this situation is i just, I just don't think see they, how he you know they a should lot probably of times, overhaul everything honestly like they should probably overhaul the front office like it's just well, a weird yeah. situation i see elton brand like the gm getting a lot of heat you you say he's not really the chief decision no, maker there. he doesn't make any decisions um but like i have to think brett brown's involved like he's brett brown's been along he around longer than elton brand and, he's been around longer than the you know and and that's kind of where in this process that's kind of where he deserves some of this blame because like he hitched his wagon to the owners when the whole sam hinky thing went down he was the gm for like you know you keep harping on this mikhail bridges trade and certainly he would help them more than zaire smith who's not helping them at all but they do have a 2021 pick out of that a first rounder but like you know he was the guy that was the supposed gm when that stuff happened so like I said, my, my biggest concern is that he's supposed to be a motivator and the Sixers look like they'd rather be anywhere else than guarding the ball on defense. And that, to me, shows what you said, that like at a certain point, 
there's just no reason. There's no excuses to make. There's no, like, if Ben Simmons was here, we would win. Like, you can – your guys can play hard. You know what I mean? Like, the, the Nets right. have no chance see, of winning, and they play their ass off. And I see Tobias Harris getting a lot of heat. And it, oh, he stinks. I mean, he's locked up for the next, what, four years for, like, $30 million. I, I know several people that work in the NBA, humble brag, and I had – multiple people text me on Wednesday night that like the Sixers must be looking at that receipt. Like, man, do we have a, a, a 365 day return policy on it? Cause God, he cannot get by anyone. <laughs> like, he can't put it on the deck one minute. Like he, no dribbles. I, it's, I, I don't, I don't, the Sixers are just so frustrating. Cause like, they're just, the, the, I feel bad. I don't feel bad for Sixers fans because, like, they're just so arrogant about the process right. and how it would have worked and, like, Sam Hinkie's a genius. But, Sam like, I'm, I'm not sad that they have to watch this team. Like, no, I, I agree with you. And it shows you, like, all fan bases overrate, like, their young players. For sure. And they're like, wait until they, you know, mature. This core gets together. Almost always the core matures and develops and ends up as like a first round loser. Like that's usually the peak for most teams. Yeah. Not everybody becomes the golden state warriors. You know what I mean? And then you look at the other teams that have won in the NBA, like certainly the Spurs are a team that deserves credit, but like, even if you go all the way back, like let's go 20 years back, like Detroit, you know, they ended up with some players they drafted, but guys that they traded for the Lakers, obviously they, they traded for Kobe, but like, you don't do that without Shaq. Like, you look at all these teams, right? Like Cleveland didn't win with LeBron the first time around. Boston traded for everyone. They kept Paul Pierce. But like this whole like young players develop and like we just win titles. Like that's just yeah, not Golden even, like, State's first title is probably the last. The o- it's the only one, right? Like Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Is there any other? Not that I can recall. Like homegrown titles. Like Miami, you had Dwayne Wade, but you get LeBron James, right? It's just San Antonio, really. Like San Antonio yeah, San and then Antonio. that Golden State. And then even then, Golden State goes and gets – you know, they get rid of Harrison Barnes thinking he isn't good enough. I, I guess Dallas. Yeah, Dallas like, had the one, like, kind of fluky title. With, with Dirk, too. But then they still had a bunch of, like, they had Jason Yeah, Terry, like, Dirk was Jason probably. Kidd, like, and Sean Marion and Tyson. Those were all, like, add-on veterans. Right, exactly. So, like, you, you need to, like, have your core and then bring everyone in. And, like I said, the Sixers' biggest problem to me is that, like, once the Jimmy Butler thing kind of fell apart and they knew they weren't going to re-sign him, they just panicked, right? Like they were like, all right, well, we traded for Tobias Harris. So like we have to re-sign him, right? And then like they couldn't re-sign JJ Redick. Like he didn't want to be there anymore for some reason. Like they decided, you know, he just decided it wasn't his thing. So then they go pay Al Horford. And it's like, you traded Markel Fultz, who the jury's still out on Fultz being like a good player. Like, I don't know if he is or not, but he certainly is somewhat exciting. But that got blown up and all they got was Jonathan Simmons and like a late round pick later on. Like it's it's just like... Well, can I ask you a question? Like, I think one of the, they've made a lot of mistakes maybe, but um, like, you know, trading for Jimmy Butler and then not re-signing, being able to re-sign him. I always thought like, if you trade for somebody like that, like an impending free agent, like Jimmy Butler, can you have conversations with his agent ahead of time being like, we'll trade for you if you agree to sign this extension? Or is that like tampering? Is that illegal? I think general managers have conversations like that all the time. You are technically not allowed to do that, but I think there are constant communications because like you can try to get somebody to sign an extension, right? Like you can lock somebody up early, but uh, yeah, that's why you want the guy to be on the team because like you want to be able to have those communications with them about signing an extension. Like that is okay. But Jimmy Butler, we knew he was going to go to free agency. I thought there was some chance he resigned with the Sixers and that maybe not after we found the Brett Brown 
Well, I thought if they offered him like a full max, he would have. And then they did like, offer oh. him a full. They did offer him a full. Yeah, max. and I think and, they kind of panicked after that. They're like, "Oh gosh, now we have to." And then they, they did up for Tobias. Well, they did a pretty good job of like getting Josh Richardson out of it, like making it a sign and trade with Miami to make sure they got something right. for him. Like that actually was pretty good. But I don't know. Let's uh, go to the West. I do want to talk about really quick. Bet online because bet online is a, is a very good place to get very good odds. There's no shortage of action going on, and uh, the NBA playoffs are in full swing. Major League Baseball, every single day there's a game unless somebody tests positive for COVID. UFC, boxing, NASCAR, soccer, golf, everything is on Bet Online. They have the best odds and lines for upcoming games and matches. And if that's not enough for you, Zan, you can bet simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC uh, things like video games, which is incredible. And if that's not enough, they got poker, they got props, they got casino games. So visit Bet Online and use the po- uh, promo code podcast one P O D C A S T O N E for a sign up bonus. That is Bet Online, your online wagering experts. Western Conference, Yan? Yeah, um, sure. Let's do the ones that are. I mean, are we calling Houston, Oklahoma City done? Do you want two O? I mean, it's two O. They blasted them in Game One on Tuesday. Uh, Thursday, I thought Oklahoma City came out with a, a bit more energy. And then I was absolutely blown away with how Houston matched that in the second half and their run to start the fourth quarter with Harden on the bench. I mean, Dan, like, if Eric Gordon and James Harden can shoot two for 21 from three and Houston can win games by double digits against good NBA teams, like, are we shorting how good Houston's chances are to win the title? I still don't think they match up well with the Clippers, but, like, yeah, so I texted hard. you. I'm like, would they be the favorite against the Lakers? And that was before right we now. watched. That was before we watched Anthony Davis oh. go nuts and then blow out Portland with LeBron just playing okay. So I, I think like the Lakers' demise is greatly overstated. Them losing Game One. I like Houston's chances if they shoot at that expectation. Just given the way that they play and how many good shots they get and how committed they are to it and how hard their role guys play. I like Houston a lot. I still think yeah. they match up the worst with the Clippers. Like, I think that's the killer for them. Like, that they just match up really poorly with the Clippers. But, like... Well, that's why I think people are um, frustrated with the, watching the Houston is because, like, look, Dort did a good job on Harden. He shot poorly. Eric Gordon shot poorly again. You know, that's the norm, I guess, for him now for some reason. Yeah. Uh, Over 10, he shot from three. Like, he has to make some threes for them to win the title. <laughs> But as a team, they didn't even shoot that well. They were at like 32% for a while. I don't know what they finished. And they won. And it's, it's become an issue of like, it's not like Houston needs to shoot well to win the game. It's like Houston just needs to keep shooting threes. Yeah, correct. I, like 33%, they're ahead of the curve. This is, this is the same a few years ago. Remember when they lost to, I guess this was 2018 when they lost in game seven and Chris Paul got injured, right? Like, they, he didn't play in Game 7 against Golden State 2018, the second title year. You know, Heraldus Vulgaris, who is now working for the Mavericks, big-time NBA sports better back in the day, doesn't wager at all now. And you can see his kind of influence on Dallas, because like you said, we'll talk about him in a second, but they're second in Mori Ball. Like he said, like, this is, a, this is a matchup between optimal play style and better talent. And in that specific right. series, Houston went cold in a bad spot, and talent won out. But if they shot at expectation in game seven, they win that series and they beat a team that was very clearly better than them, you know? And so I think that I don't know that we're going to see it again, but like, I mean, Oklahoma was 11 for 32 from three, right? On, on Thursday, Houston, (laughs) 
19 for 56. Like they're shooting well, 50, you know what I mean? And so that's seven more threes and they win the game by 20 points, like 15. It's points. amazing. Like people are following, you know, we always talk about more threes, more threes. People are playing more Mori ball, as you would say, but like, they're still so far behind Houston in that regard. Like I, I wrote this out once. If you just do like a Mori ball ratio, right. Which is just, let's add up free throws and threes. Those are called like good shots. Right. And divide by two pointers, you know, and some two pointers are good. Like at the rim shots are good, but in yeah, general, we, let's say two. we talk about this formula being a bit flawed, but like no, just for flawed, simplicity's but, sake, it works right. for what you're trying to say. And the average for the league was like 1.0. That's like the average team, like, you know, Detroit, Sacramento, Boston, Washington, they're all about 1.00. The top five teams, Milwaukee, 1.2, Miami, 1.2, Minnesota, actually 1.2. Dallas, as you mentioned, is 1.3. Houston's 1.5. Yeah, like that's a so, whole probably standard yeah. deviation away from the rest of those people, just given how close these sort of run, right? Like You think like, you know, other teams would be like, let's get close to that. And I it, mean... It's not shocking, right? Like Milwaukee with Bud like and, and Giannis, like it's pretty clear. Like when you got a guy like Giannis, you, you kind of play around him and right. shooters. And, that, and then, that's like Milwaukee would complain. Like Giannis shooting at the rim is a good shot. Obviously. Right, which, which it is, obviously. Yeah. And then like Gerson Rosas in Minnesota, like he's a Houston guy. And then Dallas, like I said, you've got – now they're playing differently with Luka. He's trying to do basically the jumbo Harden role, and he's been very good at it. And I just think that like Houston – it, like I said, all they really need to do is like shoot at expectation, like shoot like 33% from three in the playoffs. Right. And just however that comes. And like, again, Eric Gordon and, and Harden, you know, Gordon over 10, Harden two for 11. Harden ends up with like 21 points, still gets nine free throws, nine assists, but zero turnovers. Like he was tremendous, like controlled the game on offense. I think the biggest thing for me, and this is this, this is with this Houston team, like all these nerdy guys who like write about basketball, like they love PJ Tucker, right? They talk about how great PJ Tucker is, but PJ Tucker's been there for years and we haven't seen this level of energy and defensive intensity from the Rockets. It's like they, they, they get Russ. You can see him on the sidelines. Like he's living and dying with everything. Like they've turned Ben McLemore into like an engaged defensive player in the NBA. Like I get it. They have issues rebounding the basketball. Certainly they're small. It'll be interesting to see what happens against a guy like Anthony Davis, but like, they play so hard, Zan. They switch, like, defensively. Right. Like Harden, Harden is, like, a, a very good post defender. When they get mismatched, it's almost like teams let them off the hook when they – Well, you know what? I think it's partly Westbrook, but also partly, like, you hear that a lot. Like, sometimes you want to get your bigs touches on offense to keep them engaged. Yeah. I think the fact that they're small, it, like, keeps everyone locked in on defense because everyone has to rebound. Yeah. Everyone has to yeah. get switched on. Everyone's going to be playing defense. You have to talk. You have to know where guys are in your zone. You have to be engaged you're exactly right about that exactly right and um thank you i'm gonna save that on file <laughs> oh, <but it's> like, <laughs> that's gonna be a new like, sound drop and again like i don't expect you know like jeff green and and macklemore right. and rivers and daniel house you know and, and tucker and covington to always shoot 40 plus percent from three but the point is they get enough good shots right like, and they don't need to shoot 40 they don't like, need you, to yeah you see all the time you look at a box score and it's like Vucevic shot 12 for 20 and you know and Orlando loses by 10 like because those shots I mean like that post like scoring is good but shooting league average by three is better you know Um, I'm I'm a bit surprised at Oklahoma City like Schroeder's had two pretty bad games and like the Schroeder Austin Rivers like one-on-one in the third quarter of 
Thursday's game was just like the most tremendous thing I've ever seen. Like they were both trying to lose the game. It was great. I'm a little shooter. Like I would never like shooter. And then he had such a good year statistically. And I didn't yeah. candidly, I didn't see enough of Oklahoma city to see if it was like a change or what was going on. It's, and then watching him, he, he plays like he's drunk or something. He's just like <laughs> out of control. It's amazing. He gets so like, you called him erratic. Cause I think I texted you right. I was like, man, one thing I forgot is like, when the wheels come off of Dennis Schroeder, it's so fun to watch because he's just like he's just like so emotional. He's mad. He's taking bad shots. It's great. But here's the thing: we were going to do this where we speculate wildly about clickbait headlines. And one of the things you sent me was like, "Is this Chris Paul's last stand? Like, if they lost on Thursday, is it a scenario where like we don't ever really see Chris Paul in a scenario where they can he can win a playoff series again?" And he was just so bad on Thursday. It's like against a team like the Rockets with so much size and so much length. It just, he, he just really struggles. And I know how good he was this year for them. So it sucks to watch, but like, plus yeah, well, minus Zach, isn't a great stat, but like he was minus 36 on Thursday. Zach Lowe mentioned something that I thought was interesting. He said like Chris Paul, Wiley vet, of course, like the way he he's been winning this year is like, he like picks on these centers and then like gets a little space and hits a mid range shot. Cause he is a tremendous mid range shooter, like the best of all time. One of the best right. of all time. But if you're guarding against, you know, guys who can keep up with you, you yeah. don't have that little space. And then <laughs> you get switched on to like PJ Tucker or Robert right. Covington. It's a lot harder. Yeah. Well, And also like, that's like the playing style, like Oklahoma city is like one of the worst teams in like the playing style. If you consider the two yeah. bad and it's just like, you can still win games like that, but it's just like, it's such an uphill battle to like beat a team shooting twos, mid range twos. than when they're shooting threes. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma City shot better from three on Thursday than Houston did, and they lost the game by double digits. I'm, I'm telling you, man, like that run in the fourth quarter, like that's the type of thing you see with like Harden going nuts on the bench and then him coming in and not losing any of that defensive intensity that the rest of the team had. Like when we talk about James Harden and we talk about the issues that he's had in the playoffs, like that's the stuff you want to see, right, Dan? Where he can really impact the game if he's not drawing a ton of fouls, if he's not. I mean, he. Yeah. And I I told you, like, I I joke about James Harden. I I think there's a legitimate argument that he is the most valuable player just because it's like he'll have a bad game and then still like score like a point per possession just because he's on the free throw line so much and he draws so much attention. It's just like it's so hard to stop him, too. You know, like they had one, he had one bad shooting game, but still, like. Yeah. And he's still, you know, like his defensive, I mean, they've just been really good defensively. I, I, you know, like I said, I, didn't expect it to start this way. I thought they'd be very concerned. I'm, I'm actually kind of more leaning to like, are we going to be, is it going to be harder to integrate Russell Westbrook if they're playing so well without him? But yeah. like, I don't know. It's fun to watch. They, they are very fun to watch in terms of people who say like, oh, we hate watching James Harden. We hate watching the Rockets. Like, well, and that's why he's like moved. a one man gang. Cause it's like, take away Russell Westbrook. Okay. That's just 10 more shots for James Harden. And he'll usually score efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Off the doting on them. What's the next <laughs> one we want to talk about? That one's two. Oh, we think that series is done. Everything else is one, one, right? Yeah, it's close. I mean, so Lakers, let's say Portland. Okay. Portland hangs on wins game one. Everyone thinks some people thought Portland would win in a sweep, you know, big overreaction. <laughs> Um, Lakers stomped them in game two. Anthony Davis was fantastic in game two. Everything, tons of stuff at the rim. Stop taking jump yeah, shots. Like that's the series I expected. I yeah. mean, like, cause they just match ups so easily. I think he was like two for 15 out of the restricted area on Tuesday night. And like, that's just not good. Like, come on, man. You know, yeah, I watching the game. I think I texted you too. I'm like, like somebody should tell him like, he might be like the most talented player. 
and just dominate. I mean, like, and he did in game two. And I tend to think this series is going to, you know, coming in, I thought it would be 4-1 in the Lakers' favor. And I'm like, it would just be nice if Portland wins that one game early because then it will feel like a competitive series. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. It's like they won game one, so it feels competitive, but Lakers are just better, I think. Yeah, I mean, and like, this was just an absolute beatdown on Thursday night. Like, you know, Portland shot like 27% from three, which was tough. Like Dame one for seven, CJ one for five. Mello was absolutely brutal in a game where he's trying to guard LeBron for a lot of possessions. Like, I just think that the, the biggest thing for the Lakers, like you said, like they don't know what to do with their rotation, right? right. They're not and sure. And they're playing JR. They're playing Dion Waiters. Right. They're playing everybody now. They played Dion's coming back. They played Dion 15 minutes. They played JR. <laughs> God bless JR Smith, man. Plays 22 minutes, gets up 12 shots, nine threes. Like, let's do it, baby. Like, let's just let him spin. Like, I'm, I'm okay with it. Kuzma played less minutes, played about 20 minutes. You know, they, they, they got JaVale down to 12 they still played Dwight Howard a ton but even like just 26 minutes for LeBron is good like blowouts are good for LeBron to kind of get back into the mix but like this Lakers team we don't need to we really don't need to panic right we just need them to make open shots as long as they make open shots they shoot reasonably well they're going to be there like I do think that Houston is a potential problem for them because the Lakers guards are not very good right like right. they're just well, not the, the big red flag for the Lakers is like for Houston Eric Gordon just hasn't shot well all year and for the Lakers, Danny Green seems like he's in one of his long slumps too. Yeah. And it's and like you're if, not going to get KCP shooting four for six from three every night. It's just not going to happen. Like, is there anything like about Danny Green? Because I saw some people like you know he sucks in the playoffs. He was bad in the finals last year. He's also the same guy who almost won Finals MVP because he got really hot one year. Yeah. Is is there anything you watch? Like, does he feel like a different player, or is it just sort of you know he's you know, hot I, and cold? I actually think like it's. I think his his. Uh, role is a bit different than it's been in the past like before it was like you get corner threes like you know you're guarding the other team's like second best wing player like I think Danny Green's struggling a little bit with kind of like where he fits like the Lakers are a little bit more iso than he's played in the past like you know with the Spurs and the Raptors like the ball moved a good bit like and I think with the Lakers like you kind of just have to wait and I I do think Danny Green's slowing down a bit too like he, he doesn't seem to run himself off as many screens as before like he doesn't seem to get as many looks in transition as he used to so I think his level of shot is a little tougher. Like he's more of a rhythm shooter, not a set shooter. So like if LeBron has the ball for 20 seconds and then finds you in the corner, like that's a different type of shot than he's probably used to taking. And I, you know, he's an NBA player. I think he'll bounce back. I think he's probably just going through a little bit of a slump, but I do think like he's struggling a little bit to find his rhythm. And I think that with a lot of the Lakers guys, because playing with LeBron and Anthony Davis, not that it's a hard thing to do. They're going to get you open shots and they're going to, they're going to make sure that the floor is relatively spaced for you. But I do think the game is a little bit slower and you have to be shot ready at all times. Cause like there's maybe going to be three or four possessions in a row. Like you don't get looked at. Right. And, and not position, running plays for you. It's like, if you get a ball, it's like LeBron, that's like your LeBron's third option. Yeah. And, on the play. And that's kind of what KCP plays a little bit like Eric Gordon, where they're just constantly running around and it seems like super, super hectic. And like, that's not really good for KCP, but it seems like some days like that really helps him. So I don't know. I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they can integrate J.R. Smith. I, I am a bit surprised. Uh, Caruso's minutes have been a little bit surprising to me, just in the sense that, like, he's going to have to play against the Rockets, right? Like, he just has to. You, you're not I like her, so. I mean, you know, the feels like people are turning on him. I like his effort on defense. He plays I think hard. He's, yeah, and I think he's good enough as an open shooter compared to J.R., Dion Waiters, or whoever. Um, I would keep him. I, I'm curious to see what they do with Rondo, because it's like, 
I feel like some of these coaches. Play. It sounds like Vogel wants to play him. Yeah, it sounds bet. like a lot of these coaches, like in case of emergency, break out like the dusty old vet. Like they're playing Jr. Smith. <laughs> I mean, off of like an extended absence, and Deion Waiters and like you know the names and the vets, playoff tested guys. I'm like, I mean, they I, have to they have to find a third scorer, right? And it, we know at this point it's not KCP. Like we we know it's not Alex Caruso. We want it to be Kyle Kuzma. I don't know if it ever will be. Like, there's some serious problems with this Lakers team, but I mean, Zan, come on. Like, Portland's, Portland is literally rolling Carmelo out to guard LeBron. And I wonder, like, is LeBron just like, ah, I'll take it easy on my guy? You know? Like, I know. I thought that too. It's kind of like embarrassing. <laughs> he played like 26 minutes. He didn't shoot it particularly well. Like, but he was so good in game one. And it's, you know, it's his fault if they lose. And then when they win, it's all because of AB. Like, I don't know, man. This, this series, though. I like think LeBron hasn't really played well still. I mean, like game for one was like his game one was like his best game of the bubble. No, game probably. one, but game two, he didn't play well. I mean, he's, uh-huh. you get the sense that he should be dominating this team more Portland. I, I just, you know, we'll see. And, and Houston, I, I told you, like, I think it might be good for the Lakers to be like, play a small team like Houston and then commit to Anthony Davis at the five and LeBron at the four and then just have some shooters and then, you know, use your ability to like, you know, dominate inside with a quote unquote small team. Yeah. And it'll be interesting. Um, We've seen Robert Covington guard Anthony Davis at least once this year. They they did a really good job. They struggle a good bit to contain Russ, you know, and, and protect the rim, especially when the floor is very, very spaced. It's I think it's good for the Lakers to lose a game and like kind of wake up call because if they had to go if they like walked through Portland and then had to get like surprised by Houston. Houston yeah. yeah. I, I I'll tell you there aren't many teams matching the energy that Houston's playing with. And Portland was doing that. I just think Portland's, I think they're gassed, man. You know what I mean? Like, I just think Portland's exhausted. I think they've played so hard. You know, you're 10 or 12, what are they, 10 games in, 11 games in. Now they've played one more game than everybody else too. So I just think that like, but you're right. They play heavy minutes. I think Lillard led the league in minutes in the regular season. And so like, if you're the Lakers, right, you, you do have to match Houston's intensity from the first minute. Otherwise, like, it's just not, you know, you're going to get run out of the gym. And speaking of good tests, Clippers, Dallas, you know, it's Clippers hang on one. Denver and Utah for the last, because that's might be the best series right now. Well, this is a good one too. So Clippers win game one, then Dallas like jumps right back, wins game two, and their offense is like still dominating, right? Man, they're, mean, like, they're really good offensively. So two things, right? Porzingis gets ejected in game one. Marcus Morris just like if just a tremendous irritant, right? Like just so good at that. I thought the tech was weak. I thought that like in the playoffs you want to keep Porzingis in. So like just don't give him the second tech or rescind one of the techs, like whatever. I guess like for me, like how have you thought the Clippers looked? Paul George was not good on Wednesday night, really, he was bad. Yeah, he Kawhi has a was, lot of games like that where it's like yeah. quietly he shoots like two for 12. But um, he was good on game Monday one. night. Yeah, yeah, like he was better than Kawhi probably. I don't know if he was better than Kawhi. One of the one of the biggest issues though is like they can't – Reggie Jackson, like they like want to play him. They, they can't yeah, play I him. I don't like him. And Trez looks – heavy to me right like he looks a step slow he looks like he's not quite back to who he was and that sucks honestly for them like 
but the Clippers don't look invincible like Dallas. No. Well, because it's like you thought like if this team comes together, they're probably the best team, but they just haven't come together yet. Brad, Beverly being hurt, I think, is a big deal. It's a big deal, I think, too. Because Reggie Jackson's not quite Dennis Schroeder out of control, but he's close. <laughs> he does get out of control. I mean, like, for Dallas to be able to have the third quarter they had with Luka and foul trouble on Wednesday night was pretty impressive. Like, they got shots from Seth Curry that they needed. Because, you know, the, the concern, right, is that Dallas – while they are relatively deep, they aren't deep in terms of like creators and scorers. They have a bunch of pieces that fit super well around Luca and Porzingis. But like, you know, what kind of reminds me of it's like a team that's Dallas like plays a certain way. They've been playing that way all year. They have a rhythm. It's like a race between somebody who's already in midstream and somebody who just got out of the gate. You know, like mm, yeah. like Clippers like still. Don't look together. I mean, Lou Williams, I think it's great off the bench, but he still doesn't look like playing him and Beverly together. It's still like undersized. And he's been pretty, I mean, he's been pretty good the first two games. Like in game one, he had the, he had the big blow by for a bucket that really mattered for them when the game got close at the end. But like, I think that Dallas, like, I think the Clippers thought Dallas was going to roll over after they got out to that like 18 to five run in game one. And Dallas was like, forget it. Like we know that we're the best offense in the bubble. You know what I mean? Like I would love to see, I think this, I mean, we, but this kind of what we expected. I think we said four, yeah. two, I mean, a four, two is a really close series, really. It's, it's, it, I think people are being a little disrespectful to how good Dallas has been offensively. And like you said, they, they, their offense doesn't wane with Luke off the court. Like they, they, they're very good with him off the court because Porzingis is really good. And I think that this Dallas team is interesting in the sense that like, when are they going to be ready to win a title? Cause I, I think we both don't think it's this year. Like I don't even see them getting hot and, because they just are so bad in close games and because like they, they don't, you know, like you watch Harden and when the, the Rockets are winning by 10, right. With like two and a half minutes to go, like that guy dribbles the air out of the ball, but like Luca and them, they just run up and down the court. It's great. I just think that like, right. like I thought the whole close game thing was overblown. It's like in most stats, they say that's kind of fluky. It is fluky, like low possession games, but this Dallas team, they just play like dummies down the stretch. <laughs> but like in terms of point differential, I think like they're almost like Miami where it's like, this might be a top five, top six team. Um, yeah. And like, we got to take them seriously. And if they somehow get by the Clippers, you know, sky's the limit. I wouldn't be shocked if we see Houston Dallas, you know, conference finals. I mean, it's not like ridiculous. Yeah. I don't want to wildly speculate. I don't think they're going to get out of this round. No, I, think I, I mean, probably not, but it could go seven. I, maybe. I do wonder what adjustments the Clippers are going to make because, you know, like I've been very high on, Zubach, but he's like pretty much a 20 minute a game kind of guy. Marcus Morris has like just been okay, right? Paul George had a bad game. I don't expect him to play that bad again. So maybe like it's it's just a matter of like George playing to his level of expectation right. and then you know what kind of worries me about getting George? back into shape. George like is as talented as anybody, um, skill wise and just like size, you know. He doesn't get a lot of easy points. You know, it's just like a lot of deep shots. And I think that way, like you're going to have some games where you shoot badly. And for his career, he's not like a high percentage field goal guy because he's just shooting long threes all the time. I mean, much of his, I guess, like leap last year into top three MVP candidate was the fact that he was shooting really, really well from three on a very high volume. And he hasn't really shot as well this year. I I mean, I do think he was shooting well when the season came to a stop, but like, I would expect PG to be better. He's just not as good in pick and roll as you want him to be. Right. Like he just can't score every time he has the ball. He does look good. Like, I mean, Paul George is somebody who's like so smooth every time. 
So I, I wouldn't say that. I, I think four two seems reasonable for this. Yeah. I think it's disrespectful it's for people. That's fine. Yeah. And and like I said, like this may be the last time that we see Luca as not the best player in a playoff series, right? Wow. Like he is. He is not as good as Kawhi Leonard, and I do think we had the discussion, like, I'd rather have him than Paul George because he's 20, but I don't know if he's, like, certainly better than Paul George right now. I I think it's close because PG, obviously, defensive impact, but, like, man, that guy is really good. You know what's funny? Uh, I liked – look, I'm not a pro scout. I like scouting the draft, as you said. I think it's fun. I probably saw, like, one game of Luka before he came over, so I had him, like, the third best prospect in that class. Because I had seen Aiton and I'd seen Bagley, and I thought they'd both be good. Um, obviously, Vladi Divac, not the same. He took Bagley over Doncic. The amazing thing, though, he just got fired, obviously, Vlade. And they asked about that pick, and most people would say, you know, hey, you know, made a miscalculation. He stood by the Bagley pick, and he said because he thinks Bagley still has more upside than Luca. That's impossible. There's, I mean, like this guy's a top ten player, top five player. Like, what is Bagley going to be then? Yeah, there's, there's be... no way. If you had me bet right now, like not even on MVPs, but like let's just say Luca finishes first or second team All NBA this year. Let's just say for the sake of this argument, he finishes second team. Would you bet on point five second team All NBA appearances for Marvin Bagley based on what we've seen? No. Like, you can't bet on that. That's impossible. I think he'll still be like a 20 and 10 A good guy, player. Yeah, yeah, a good player. There's no reason to think that he won't be. It's just that like... Yeah, that, that was a bad argument on Vlade's part. He should have said, Luke needs finish. the ball and we we have Fox with the ball so it didn't fit or something Correct. Like that. And, and one of the things that Dallas deserves credit for, and I think that a lot of people who are Luka detractors... Like Dallas saw from the start, like with his passing ability and his handle and his feel for the game, like he's a point guard. Like, and I understand that, like, we don't call guys point guards. We don't call James Harden a point guard, whatever. But like Dallas deserves so much credit for being like, this guy's going to use 40% of possessions. And that's what we want him for. And I think a lot of teams, you know, Phoenix wasn't likely going to do that. Sacramento definitely wasn't going to do that. So if he goes to Sacramento, you know, maybe he is your Mario Hazonia. I I doubt he is. No, I doubt it. But it, but it shows you too, like, the fallacy of like upside where it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just like a quote word for athleticism. Really? It's like Steph Curry. I remember hearing that like when he came into the draft, like, you know, not a lot of upside. He's going to be like a bench scorer, a combo guard. Cause he's except for David Thorpe who said he was Steve Nash. Like, yeah. I mean like yeah. you don't necessarily need to be a physical freak to be one of the best players. No, I, I mean, you're, you're, you're exactly right about that. Like I said, I think for Luca, the next step is like, he, he needs to like make an effort on defense. And I think there are some possessions he does. And I think there's other possessions he doesn't just because, you know, when you well, I, I also, I, like hitting uh, the three more consistently, you know, like he, maybe. even if he gets up to 33, 34, 35%, what was like, he? 31% he finished yeah, I think he's in 31 and in Europe, he was about the same, which is just so odd. If he you takes, watch him, but. he takes really tough shots though. Like he's not quite as good yet as like, like Harden takes tough shots, right? Like, but Harden's like step back. Like he gets tons of space and he like lulls guys to sleep on the dribble. So like Harden has more open tough shots, if you will. Like Luca's yeah. not quite there. And I, start, I forgot who said it, like Kevin Pelton or something. Like we should stop treating like three point percentage and threes as all equal. Cause it's yeah, like Luca's taking a tougher shot than guys sitting, PJ Tucker sitting in the corner. Well, that, that's why, that's why like the Duncan Robinson thing is so impressive. Right. Because like Duncan Robinson went from like being like a strictly corner three point shooting guy to being like Kyle Korver where like you have to, and JJ Redick where like you're on the move, like you're constantly catch ready to go. You know, like Dame probably takes outside of James Harden, like 
and Luca, like Dame definitely takes the toughest shots because he just has the ball. But like off the dribble jump shooters, like that's way harder than being a catch and shoot guy. It's way more difficult. Yeah, I agree. There should be like an adjustment for like those. Um, Last one, Denver, Utah. One more. Yeah, surprisingly competitive after the Mike Conley thing. Uh, Conley, I don't know as of our recording if he will be back for game three. I think they said yes. They said he's okay. going to clear. Donovan Mitchell, tremendous. Like, it has to be – he's got to be the lead scorer. He goes for 57 in game one, which I believe is the third most in any playoff game ever. So, pretty impressive. Even worse, though, like, even more impressive was that, like, he scored 57 and somehow Jamal Murray was like the story of that game. They just went shot for shot down the stretch. Denver wins in overtime. I mean, Jamal Murray had like 20 points in like a, a five minute stretch of time. Like he, he made tons of shots down the stretch and then had the first 10 points in overtime, like Denver wins. And then I kind of thought like that was a game where Utah was going to come out and be like, damn, like Donovan played so well and we lost and I thought it would be more demoralizing. And then Utah comes out on Wednesday and shoots like 50% from three and blows out Denver. It was never a close game. So maybe I was too hard on Utah. Like yeah, Donovan was well, really good in game two as well. Like 30 points on 14 shots. And I think he had eight assists and no turns. Like that's why I was kind of bullish on Utah's chances. Pre Conley thing. It's just like they, they're well coached. They get good shots and you know, they're missing Bogdanovich, but they're still like one of the top three point shooting teams in terms of percentage. Yeah. Um, I mean, they shot 24 from defense, from three. Like, that's impressive. Yeah. And Denver, they're number one actually this year. They shot 38% as a team um, from three. And that's not all Bogdanovich. So, um, and that part of it is like, you know, going away from Rubio and favors. Like, they, they have a lot more shooters yeah. than they used to. Um, and now Conley's coming back. And this, podcast might air game threes this you know this morning so we might it might be a big game obviously but i think these teams are very evenly matched i i don't think it's going to be denver rolling as, as a lot of people thought i wonder too with how good donovan's been and how good he's been as a creator i i sort of wonder what they do with mike conley like i sort of wonder like is mike conley going to be more of an off guard right now like do you limit his minutes a little bit because like i mean Game one was the best game of Donovan Mitchell's career from an offensive standpoint. And then he followed it up in game two with less of a scoring output. But honest to God, like another one of the best games of his career. Like really, he, he was tremendous. And I think that like if we're going to watch Donovan Mitchell take a leap, this is the leap we need to see where he becomes less of a volume guy and a bit more efficient and a bit better at getting his teammates involved. And then, then he can become a top 15 player in the league. I don't think he's quite there yet. But like, I mean, he's been the best player in the series by a pretty wide margin. And I think that like, that's always good, right? You want to have the best player in the series. And I, I, I just think like there's been all these rumors about like what's going to happen with Donovan Mitchell. And like, you're telling me like this guy can get 57 on like 50% shooting in a playoff game. And like the net, the jazz are going to trade him. Like that seems wild to me. Like it really does. Well, and also like, yeah, he has that sort of like X factor. He does where it's like coming out of the draft, you know, it kind of reminds me of Anthony Edwards, you know, like body type wise and, and I'm like, I think Anthony Edwards could be a Donovan Mitchell if he works as hard as Donovan Mitchell and he has the sort of that X factor vibe, but it's impossible to know, you know, like maybe he's just looking to be like a Wiggins, you know, and just not really try that hard um, or have that swagger, I guess. Like you do need some sort of that like alpha male, like I'm, I'm a star kind of vibe. And he does turn that on like when he needs to, just in terms of like, he knows how to deal with the media. Like he wants to take big shots, even if we don't think that's like really his best role. 
you know, it was funny. Like when we watched the end of game one, I think you watched Jamal Murray and you're like, all right, Jamal Murray has way more like shot making in his bag than like Donovan Mitchell does. Right. Like Donovan's a super good athlete. Like he's a pretty good finisher at the rim, but like Jamal Murray's like going over top screens. Like he's crossing guys up and getting his spots on the floor. And like, when you watch those two guys, you think that Jamal Murray's a better offensive player, but it seems like, you know, Donovan, because of his level of athleticism, his motor, you know, kind of the way they play with him, like he makes it so much harder to guard. Plus like the other guy I want to talk about, like, how wild is it like with Utah, like Jordan Clarkson is just like playing yeah. out of his mind. Like they, they need a bench score. So they just tell him go in the game and shoot it every time you touch it. And it's like, no one can guard him. He's at the rim every time I watch. Yeah. And that's a guy that I would have hated before this little stretch in Utah. I don't, I don't get it either. And I just worry about Denver. It's like, yeah, defensively. Right. Yeah. It's like we all thought like they had turned a corner last year. They finished 10th in defense and their defense this year hasn't been as good. Um, and it's like they, you know, look, they finished second in the West last year, third this year, but like their playoff performances have not been inspiring. It's just like, remember two years ago, they lost to Minnesota in like the playing game, basically. Yeah. Last year, they barely beat San Antonio four, three, and then lost to Portland in a good, in a good series four, three. Yeah. And now it's one, one again. It's just like, I don't know, like maybe they're just like a good team. That's not great. I mean, if you watch both games of this series, which I know you did, like, I think it's hard to come away and say that, like, Denver should be the favorite the rest of the way. With all of Utah's flaws, like, I, right. I'm not saying like if Conley can be, like, a B-plus, I think Utah's going to win. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think just in what we've seen in two collective games, and again, like, Utah didn't play poorly down the stretch in game one, more that Denver just played better, but it's like Denver had to kind of, like, wake up and, like, get back in the game and then just get punched in the mouth like they did. I, I was really surprised and you know another thing like and this is kind of a weird thing to assert from this I think but like Michael Porter Jr. to me there are like real strong like good stats bad team guy with him not not in the sense that like he's a bad teammate I don't think he is but like I just I don't know man like he played well on Wednesday and it just didn't matter right like, like he shoots like, well he scores right I just don't, he's not at the level where he's like a winning player yet I guess yeah. I, I just it's weird because like you look at it and you're like oh 28 points 17 shots six or nine from three like man Denver must have played really well and it's like they just didn't right and so with Michael well, and they're Porter, also missing Will Barton there Gary Harris probably not a big loss but and, and Will Barton is done right like he left yeah, the bubble to so. get a second opinion on his knee so like he he's just not playing and and like you know Jokic has been like good not great right like 28 11 and 6 the other day but again like just not really I mean outside of Jamal Murray in game one like I don't know that they've had any performances where guys have really been able to like just hang their hat and be like yeah like we brought it today you know and, and again it's 1-1 so not like the series is over but it's a situation where like, I just feel so like queasy about Denver moving forward. You know, like I just feel like there's just, I'm not like queasy. I'm just like underwhelmed, you know, yeah, it's underwhelmed like, is, better. is this like, these are two good teams, but does it, does it feel like an undercard and like irrelevant in a way? Cause it's like, I don't see these teams beating the Clippers or. Right. And they were playing through Jokic much more. And now it seems like they're not like his assist numbers are down. It seems like they're, they're playing much more ISO ball, which is kind of weird. Like when you have a guy like that. So, you know, the issue really though, is like, Obviously, they went into overtime in game one, but you're, you're talking about a situation where you've given up 125 and 124 points. You know, I think that, like, you know, make no mistake about it, Zan. Like, they gave up 115 in regulation in game one. They won that game because they outscored Utah. Well, and I think these are good teams in this sense. Like, 
you agree like the whole like title or bust mentality is stupid um because you're not going to win a title usually unless you have lebron james or something like that like what's worth it like what's like the win now outcome that still feels like a success and to me it's like getting to round two because it's like then you're in the elite eight basically you've accomplished something getting into the playoffs isn't enough in the league where over half the teams make the playoffs it needs to be something more than that and it's funny too right because like I've always said this in college basketball, like you get to the sweet 16, doesn't matter what team you are, anything can happen, right? It's one game, but like getting to the second round in the NBA playoffs, like it doesn't seem like anything can happen, right? There are still series where we watch and it's like, yeah, it's great. Like, but now you're playing like, you know, but this year I do think any team that gets into the elite eight could potentially win the title. I don't, I didn't think that when the series, the season stopped, but based on what we've seen in the bubble, like, yeah, because the Lakers and, and the Clippers and, and Milwaukee to some degree look vulnerable. They, they just don't look as good as they did, you know? And I, I would have bet a ton of money before the bubble started that it was two of those three teams in the finals, right? I really I wonder, have. too, like the no home court advantage, does it make series like, let's say, Indiana-Miami, does it make them closer or does it make them more likely to be like sweeps because Indiana doesn't have the couple of home court games that they might've won. And so every game's like even. I definitely think it matters a little bit. And this is what I was saying before, like with Houston is that like, you need to be able to bring your own energy a lot of nights, right? Like there are guys that love to play on road games because they love big road games. They love to hear like the crowd get silent, but then like at home too, like you're used to that rim. Like it's great having the crowd under you. Some people think it affects the officials. I don't really buy into that, but I mean, I think like, yeah, going down 2-0 and not being able to go home and get that kind of boost of energy and and feel like a level of comfort. Like now you're just walking back at like all these guys played at Disney World in the past. Like they played in like the AAU Nationals or whatever. Maybe maybe some guys are too young since Nationals are kind of a joke now. But like it used to happen in the Milk House, right? You played on Justin's court. Like that was a big deal. So these guys are familiar, right? Like they've been here now, what, two months, like a month, whatever. What do you think of the idea? I remember when Phoenix was doing really well, you know, the announcer was saying because they're a young team and most of them are unmarried, it's like, and they're used to like sort of the college basketball AAU vibe. Is that easier for young teams and young players more than the married guy with three kids at home? I mean, I definitely think going back to a hotel room where you're just like watching a DVD, like it's not a DVD, but you're just watching like a streaming service and it feels like it's a road trip and you don't feel like you're, you're back with your family. I think, I think there's some level of like normalcy there for guys that are single, right? You're just basketball, eat, sleep, whatever, you know, and there are guys that have people in the bubble and they're like talking, you know, they're going back home and and they're dealing with their family and whatnot. But I I don't like, I don't know, man. Like I was talking with somebody about this the other day. Like I didn't think the bubble's that big of a deal. Like I think you're just playing basketball for two, two months, you know? And I I just think the issue is like, I think it would be like, now that I have, now that I have a baby, I think it would be, I think it would be hard emotionally. Like when I leave my baby for like a day, like I feel weird at the same time as soon as you step on a court, like you're not thinking about that. Right. And, and, I mean, like you have to, like for that two hours, I, mean, I, you I don't know. Like out. maybe you are right. Like Jason Tatum, they've talked about his son on both of these telecast telecasts, uh, the Monday and Wednesday, right. Or Tuesday and Thursday, Monday and Wednesday, they, they've talked about deuce and, and how he feels about it and him like reading a book via FaceTime and stuff. And I, I just think the main thing is like, you have to be one of the reasons. And again, like this is, this is the same reason why Toronto might be and Miami might be bigger threats than we think. Like they are all seemingly on one wavelength, right? Like they're, they're there to handle their business. Like their culture is good. Like Houston, I think is the same way. I don't feel that way about the Lakers. I don't feel that way about the Clippers at all. 
I don't really feel that way about Utah or Denver. I kind of think Dallas is pretty much like that. But, like, those teams seem to come out and, like, we haven't really seen them throw up any duds, you know? Like, we've seen some bubble games that they've lost where guys have been sitting out. But, like, at full strength, like, those four teams, and, and Boston too, I guess, although I'm concerned about Gordon Hayward, like, those four teams just seem like they're ready to play and they don't need a home court advantage. Like, they, they don't need anything like that. They just want to come out. They want to shoot. They want to play. Like, they're going to play their game and they're not going to be impacted. Whereas, like, did you see Joe Varden wrote an article about how, like, LeBron didn't have fans and, like, it's a big deal yeah. to him? And, and I, I read that and I was like, man, I hope LeBron fed this to you as, like, a possible excuse because otherwise this article's ridiculous. Like, these dudes have been playing basketball their entire lives. Like, they can, LeBron is really dumb. Well, I, I mean, saying, LeBron's like media machine is rolling out a lot of excuses. It's already. insane. Like, but I'm, but I'm just saying, like, I, I mentioned this before. Like, I thought the James Harden thing where, like, he wasn't on the road and, like, he, he didn't have the ability to go somewhere else was, like, a big deal. Like, I thought that was a big deal. Because for once, like, like we talked about, like, you're just focused on basketball, right? Like, you can play golf on an off day. Like, you can go get shots up. You can go to a nice restaurant on the resort. But, like, you can't do anything else. So, like, for those guys, like, this is probably the most focused some guys have ever been no, on I basketball. Agree. I agree with that. Um, I want to end with one question for you. Because I think I'm looking already ahead to round two, unfortunately, because I think it's going to be so awesome. It could be Milwaukee, Miami, and Toronto, Boston will be close. Lakers, Houston maybe would be an amazing series. Um, but of round one, if you could just watch – you know, you had to block everything out, your wife and child, you were going to actually give some attention to for once. And they told you they'd only let you watch one series to the completion. Which one are you picking? Which are you the most excited to see at the end of? It's good. You know, I don't know. I mean, at the beginning, I would have said Houston for sure. And I've enjoyed watching both Houston games just because I think they're very fun to watch. I think I'm picking the Luca show. I think I'm picking yeah, Clippers and Dallas. Like, yeah. it's, you know, and it, it's fun to watch Kawhi. Like, he is as robotic as ever, but like there's just so much offense and so much talent in that series. And there's like so many good players. Like, like that's the one series that feels like these are two potential title contender, you know, you know, as much as Dallas is, I, I, I think they have a, you know, a top 10 team. I yeah, think those I are the two see, like top 10 teams. I really can't see watching any series in the East, especially with like, if Miami and Indiana was one, one, like maybe, but like, it, like I said, it just seems like Indiana's a tick lower Milwaukee, we feel like they've figured it out. Toronto's definitely better, and the Sixers have just given up. So the East, I don't need to watch any of. But, like, I would probably watch all of the West series, given the opportunities to. I do think that the Trailblazers are going to turn back into a yeah. pumpkin. You know what but I mean? That's like, like, I, in terms of star power and intrigue, that's the, maybe the best. But it's just like, I just don't know if they're even enough. Yeah, make. and, like, if Dame is going crazy, then obviously you want to watch him. But he did have a bad game, too. And I, I think it's just like, man, if Dame's going to have bad games, they have no shot. But, I, like I said, it just – especially with like the Clippers, they're very chippy. We've talked about this before. Like they have a number of guys that are like very irritating and they want to have this sort of like tough guy vibe, but they're really not that tough. And Dallas is not backing down, right? Like Dallas has their fair share of guys. And it's like, well, and also like, I think Portland, like everyone came in with such hype. It's like, and Charles Barkley, like a lot of people are saying like, Hey, if this team was healthy, they'd be a top three seed. I'm like, I don't think that's. I true. don't know about that. Yeah, they can't guard anybody. Like they have no right. wings. So we, let me let me make one last point, and then we'll sign off because we've gone a bit long. Thanks to our NBA lottery talk. I do think <laughs> the best like, part of the pie. I do think teams like Dallas and teams like Houston and teams like Boston and teams like Toronto that have like very distinct directions. They know exactly how they play. They know who they're built around. Miami the same way. Jimmy Butler's their star. Like, that's the guy that takes big shots. Everyone else sort of falls into line. Like, 
I think it's easier for those teams in the, a bubble type situation because like you just default on like, okay, like I'll throw the ball to James Harden. Like, okay, Luca has the right. ball. I just need to be shot ready. It, it, it's much more simple for teams like that. Whereas like even the Clippers, it, it does feel like there's not necessarily something missing from their roster, but it feels like their the direction, like how do they play? Like what right. do they want to do to you? How do they want to win games? It doesn't feel like with the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks right now, it doesn't feel like that's there. And that is odd to me. Right. It's just well, weird. Well, it's weird for Milwaukee because like Clippers shouldn't, they, they kind of did it to themselves by like coasting and the not getting like, you know, playoff ready until the playoffs. The Lakers like should not be trying to figure out who's in the rotation right now. Like this is not a good time to figure it out. Oh, and Milwaukee's like the, odd because it's like they have a clear identity and they have a clear rotation. Like they shouldn't be struggling right now. Why? Why are we seeing now Milwaukee being like, oh man, like Giannis can't just run over guys if they build a wall. Like wh- why? Again, this is the second year in a row where like you've played Giannis 26 minutes a game and like he's put up 30, 15 and whatever. And like now we're still seeing a team like Orlando can bother Giannis down the stretch. Like, yeah, he still blows by dudes and gets dunks in transition. But like when teams take the air out of the ball against them and Middleton can't make shots, like. Well, I would say it's a pace issue, but I don't think, I don't think it the is. bubble has been a different pace so far. No, so, there's just the, everybody's shot better in the bubble. Like, Barkley yeah. thinks the defense is bad. I just think the shooting's been better because depth perception is a lot better for guys. I, I don't know. Like, I am – here's what I will say. Of the top three teams, here's my level of concern. Lakers, eh. I would say, like, if a scale of one to ten on level of concern, my concern for the Lakers is about, like, a four at the moment. Okay. I do think there's some issues. I think it's possible they're just not as good as we thought. I think it's possible LeBron's out of shape, but I'm not super concerned about the Lakers. Clippers, I would say my level of concern is about like a six because I think Trez is like really important to them. And I think he looks very out of sorts. And I don't know if they need to sit Kawhi or they need to sit Paul George. Like they need him to be able to score. I think that's a little bit weird. I do think the personalities there are having a hard time come together. But like the Bucks, my level of concern is a 10. Like it is absolutely wow. a 10. Like See, I'm I, low on them. I, I don't think, I mean, low on the concern level. I just think that like Orlando, you know, we, we watched what happened when they made shots and they're going to play every single team for the rest of the way they're going to play is going to be worlds better on offense than Orlando. So like, yeah, Miami might be a better matchup for them in the sense that like their shot distribution is bif- different, but like they're going to start to play a lot of close games. And so like for me, if they don't have a second score or Giannis can't figure out a way to be efficient late in games, I mean, he's shooting under 70% from the free throw line. Like some of his three point attempts look just absolutely ridiculous. Like he probably shouldn't be shooting threes, although he has to shoot a couple, but like if Middleton is not going to be good, we know who Eric Bledsoe is, but he needs to be like their fourth best player. You know what I mean? Right. And so like, but like, I'm just not concerned about Middleton. I like Middleton. I think he'll shoot better. What, what, I know Giannis is per 36 minutes. Numbers. In the bubble or no, for, in general, in this season, oh man, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's like 45, 20 and 12 or something. For 36 minutes. No, 35 points, 16 rebounds, seven assists, not bad numbers. Yeah. I saw some stat that said it's I, like very similar to Wilt Chamberlain. That's what I put up. Like I said that I said that to you. Well, no, I'm saying statistically, I saw that when he averaged like 50 a game one season, it's because he played like 48 minutes a night. Uh, or something. Here, here's my thing with Milwaukee. It bothers me that. I feel like their offense has regressed since we've gotten to Orlando. That is my main concern with Milwaukee because remember when I said like, Oh yeah, they can coast. They have time to figure it out. Well, when you get smacked in the mouth against game in game one against a bad Orlando magic team, you don't have time to figure it out anymore. Now it's become like an actual issue. And I don't want to speculate wildly, but like 
I do want to point out that against a team like Miami, who's very veteran, and then against a well-coached Toronto and Boston team, like they're going to play potentially two out of three teams who are really well-coached, really well-coached defensively, that are not going to make mistakes. So like, you have to beat them. This is not a situation where you can just watch Orlando play like trash and you can win the game by 15. You can't do that. So like Milwaukee's level of play has got to go up a notch. Well, to your point, like there's two Giannis stats I found them playoffs, only two games so far. But per 36, Giannis, no problem. 32 points, 20 rebounds, six assists per 36. But his on off, he's actually been a negative 100 offensive rating, 101 defensive rating. Is he really? That's quite yeah, slightly like um, plus minus. He's a negative right now. Wasn't he like 118 to like 98 this year in the regular season or yeah, something? Like 120 season. to like. Well, no, he was uh, 116 to 97. That's insane. He was like a plus 19. That's ridiculous. All right. I uh, just got the what's your ETA from my wife and baby. So we'll wrap this up. We went a little long. I think the playoffs are super interesting, right? And I think, I guess maybe Sunday. I don't know if we'll do Sunday or Monday. I'm not sure if we'll try to do it after every two games. Maybe we'll let a little bit more time pass between. But we'll be back. Try to do two days a week, I think, if we can, right? There's enough going on right now. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, we have a nanny, so hopefully the schedules work out. Um, also, all right, go, go take care of your... Bed. All right, DandrickEllison at gmail.com. And as always, Dan, it's been a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. 